Hi, I'm Dan Cottrell, editor of Rugby Coach Weekly. You're about to jump into one of our podcasts. If you want to find out more about this podcast and also all of the great content, drills, activities, games and advice on the website, then go over to www.rugbycoachweekly.net. I hope you enjoy the podcast. And then Dick Fosbury thinking, well, I've got to get my backside over that bar. And that's the thing that's stopping me from doing this. So in the end, he ends up doing something very peculiar. And the constraints of him trying to get over it and to get to the higher jump that he'd ever made is what actually led to a new way of doing something. So constraints can lead to creativity, do lead to creativity, if you like, especially if you're looking to solve a problem in this case. Rugby Coach Weekly presents The Coaching Knife, where we cut to the root, cut out the fluff, and challenge the masters of their domain to cut to the chase. Welcome to The Coaching Knife, when we cut to the root of the matter. In this episode, we speak to Martin Robinson, author of Curriculum Revolutions and Education Consultant. Focusing on curriculums, we're going to cut to the root on what the hell that word means and why we should have one. Martin, you ready for the knife? Apparently so. So what does the word curriculum mean? Well, a curriculum, I mean, let's let's not worry too much about the dictionary definitions and the etymology of something, but what is a curriculum? A curriculum is what you teach and the order in which you teach it. It's on two levels. In a school, a school will have a curriculum. That's everything that goes on in the school and all the subjects and what order they're teaching and what they're teaching. And each subject has its own curriculum, what it teaches and the order in which it teaches it. So does, every, does that, so does every subject have to have the same type of curriculum? Like one thing follows the other, follows the other. Yeah, follows the, the come other. on. I mean, you're talking about time. One thing follows the other in everyone's life. You, right. know, you can't avoid teaching one thing after another. Yeah. It does. It it happens. The The thing is about curriculum. You either do it consciously or unconsciously. So what, sorry, what, meaning what? Right. You, you, you always have one thing following another thing. Yeah. So what you're teaching, one thing will follow another thing. Now, if you want to think about that, because it matters what follows on from something else, you would call that a curriculum design. You're thinking about it beforehand. What might come after that? What might come after that? And what might come after that? So, so, but generally we would think that that was the way forward it's it's obvious i mean that's <laughs> i mean it's there's it's just it's it's because you're going to put children or or students adults even through a a sequence of learning to not think about it is ludicrous so right. to think about it makes sense so the so curriculum we do so needs, curriculum needs yeah so it's a it's a sequence of what we need one one thing's got to follow another now not every time it you need to not everything is one two three four sometimes it could be bounced around so how how do you think about the order you think about the order right I, i'll give you uh perhaps an analogy with learning to ride a bike or something mm. uh, what order do you do it well you could either put somebody a child on a full-size bike and push them down a hill and hope for the best 
Mm. It still has a, a beginning, middle, and probably a bloody end. <laughs> <laughs> or you can think, right, well, let's get a balance bike, start them off on a balance bike, and then move to perhaps some pedals on on a pedal bike as well. You no, know, and then teach them how to brake once they've started moving or how to use the brakes holding onto the saddle then letting go of the saddle these this is a sequence of learning going on and it involves equipment perhaps different equipment at different times and you're re you're you're thinking about what to do in order to get to a, a certain end point which is being able to ride a bike now if we think about creativity in here so Aren't we saying that we have set what this person is going to learn and there's no option for them to maybe move on to something which they are they can see works better or works differently? Okay, so you have two different endpoints here. One endpoint is the idea of getting someone to um, repeat what you have taught them. And that would be what we call a discipline. A discipline is something that you learn what to do and you learn to replicate it and you do it again and again and again. So if you're a heart surgeon, for example, you might learn this is how you do heart surgery and you might want to do it well and do it the same way each time. Then there's the other way, which is a more open ended outcome. So instead of a discipline, we call it an art, which is that you would learn something, how to replicate something, but then learn how you can be free of that to go your own way to to learn to do things in a slightly different way so you don't replicate what the teacher has taught you so all art would stay the same otherwise so art is obviously taught in 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 a way to free you from the constraints but to teach you what the constraints are in the first place in order to free you of them so i'm going to come back to constraints in a moment but uh, thinking about the heart surgeon not every surgery is going to look exactly the same. How are they going to have the that flexibility or the ability to uh, react to what's going on if they've, and maybe I'm thinking discipline in the wrong word there, that they, they can be doing something that they can repeat every time. What happens if they have some complications which they've not expected? And it's the same with driving. I mean, so they're, they're, the discipline of driving, it's not an art form of driving that you're going to then completely change the whole way of driving by going completely the opposite way of everybody else. Mm. The, the patient might die, but the surgery was a success. You don't necessarily want, yeah, part of the discipline is to react to things. So a plumber is, it's, it's a discipline. You have a set way of things and you also have a set way of reacting to certain things. Right. Then if something comes up, which has never been seen in the history of anything, then the way you would react to that would be something that then becomes the discipline. It adds to the discipline as time goes by. But right. with all these things, there is the the how we react to something if it's flying an aeroplane or whatever. But generally, we want things to be replicated and done in a safe way over a period of time has proven to be the safe way of doing these things. But yes, obviously, every now and then, probably quite rarely, certain things might crop up that need to be treated in different ways. But driving, surgery, plumbing, they're there not are arts. They, you don't want them to come up with cubism. Right. OK. OK. So <laughs> in, in terms of the, the art, then just tell me a bit more about what you mean by the word constraints. And I, I say this because in certainly in the, the sporting world that I am, constraints is a, is a word which is often used to try and help athletes to discover new ways to do things. So just uh, just. Talk me through what that means and how you teach that. Right. I mean, well, 
interestingly enough, what the world that I come from in terms of improvisational theatre, one of the things I was taught of from that by a chap called Ken Campbell, who was a inspiration, if you like, in that world, is that constraints are the root of creativity. Now, the importance of constraints, are, it's, if I just tell you to have a conversation with somebody and just leave it at that, you find it very difficult to have that conversation. If I then give you a constraint, it has to be about whatever it has to be about, or you can only say words that don't involve the letter E, then that constraint will suddenly get you thinking around that and you'll be able to work within those parameters. Give you an example in in the world of high jump, perhaps. How do we get from the straddle to the Fosbury flop? Mm. Well, it's the constraint of having to get your bum over that bar, mm. <laughs> and then <clears throat> then Dick Fosbury thinking, well, I've got to get my backside over that bar, and that's the thing that's stopping me from doing this. So in the end, he ends up doing something very peculiar, and the constraints of him trying to get over it and to get to the higher jump that he'd ever made is what actually led to a new way of doing something. So constraints can lead to creativity, do lead to creativity, if you like, especially if you're looking to solve a problem in this case, that perhaps we can see the way from the way of doing it one way to the way of doing it another way. So there's, there's a guy who's obviously at the top of their game. They knew a lot about uh, what they were trying to do and they were trying to find a better way. But uh, our the average 10-year-old is sitting there and how are you getting them to uh, think differently with constraints and be be creative? What, how does that work out for them? And what are you trying to do to make it valuable? Right. You don't necessarily want the 10-year-old to be free of those constraints <laughs> too early on. What you need to do is teach, like I said, the discipline in the first instance towards something that can then free them or, or they can work within. With a lot of sport, I would think you're trying to teach the discipline because it's quite important to know the rules. These are the way things are done here. In rugby, you can pick up the ball. In football, you can't. Things like that. So in order to get to a level of being able to do your own thing, you've got to know a hell of a lot about the the subject that you are working in or the or the art form or the, or the sport or whatever. So music if you're playing the violin or if you're a ballet dancer you you need to know the so much about the art form itself before you can go to composing or choreography so sorry just that, that sounds like a 10 year old can't be created because they're not unless they are some sort of child genius they're not going to know that much it depends what you mean by creativity okay, okay. and it depends what you mean by the quality of output they can you give them a a huge amount of constraints but within that they can be creative within those constraints right. if i tell someone to paint with two colors and those two colors can't mix but they can be next to each other then they will be able to create something within those huge constraints that you're offering yeah. uh, if i'm telling them to to play football and then web ellis picks up the ball i would probably tell him off and put him in detention don't <laughs> invent a new sport here web ellis you naughty boy <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I think what the challenge for coaches is how much can we let someone go and how much can we uh, say just stop there we we can't go any further this because I've got to go on to the next sequence in our in our curriculum yeah could I perhaps use an analogy here of the way I was taught football when I was at school 
and we were put on a full-size pitch. And I, here I am, the 11-year-old at this time, a full-size football pitch with a leather, full-size leather ball. It was always raining, by the way, always in the 1970s. Yeah. So the full-size leather ball was getting heavier and heavier as time went by. We were put with full-size goals with a tiny goalkeeper in each. And then we were told to pick sides. And the two captains, who were the strapping lads, would pick the two sides. And then you get to end up with the goalkeeper being the last person who no one wanted. So however we got to Gordon Banks, I do not know. But anyway, they'd be off there. And then the PE teacher would blow the whistle and we'd run L for leather from one side to the other, chasing the ball. And someone would hoof it up and just hope that it would go there. Then you put a few parents on the sidelines shouting blue murder at us with effing and blinding. And that was basically it. Now, over inside the English game, all pride and blood on the shirt and all this sort of stuff, character. And over in South America, they they were doing something else. Football de Salon came from, came from that idea of football in the room. And one of the things they did was get rid of the goals, shrink the size of the pitch, get a, a, a small ball that was quite didn't bounce very well and bring it down to five aside or six aside. And what you would do is you would score by dribbling past an opponent or passing to someone on your side. And you therefore had the constraints were tighter and tighter and tighter. But. What happened was you get South American football, which was beautiful to watch, <laughs> far more effective at winning World Cups and things like that. So the constraints that you build to what you think about, you chunk things down into their components that you want to get later on and think, right, we want kids to be able to pass the ball and to dribble past people these become the important components that we begin with. So for the 10-year-old, we're thinking of that 10-year-old being a very creative footballer when they're 18, 19, 20, and we're putting in certain things that enable them to get to that point over a period of time. We don't just put them in the middle of a football pitch, hope and kick. Right, so let's uh, let's boil this back down. Uh, well, not boil this down. Let's take this back to uh, curriculum then. So you're saying that the constraints are set out in the curriculum in order to say, right, we will start with this size, this these rules, dum, 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 and the the skills and things will emerge from that? Yeah, so it, it, it's the same with the bi- bicycle analogy, learning to cycle. You go from the idea of a novice to an expert and the period of time it takes to get someone from not being able to ride a bike to winning the Tour de France is obviously a long period of time mm. and not everyone's going to win the Tour de France. I realize that, yeah. but you, but you over that period, you're, you're trying to get people to be successful at various drop-off points, wherever they might drop off and just want to ride the bike around town or something mm. like that, which whichever place you want to get them to, but you start off and where you start off, it doesn't look like winning the Tour de France. It doesn't look like playing premiership football. It doesn't look like playing in Twickenham. It doesn't look like those things, but that's where you want to get to. So you start in a different place, but you're thinking about all the components to be successful at the end point that you need to put in place there. And that might involve creative thinking on the, in the game, in game time. 
and how you get to that. But th these little things will be chunked down to the smallest, minutest details that you want to get people to. And, and this is your curriculum, how to get from there to there. So within this, then you've set constraints, but you uh, you would need to perhaps teach them some things like how to kick the football as yeah. well as is that that or do they just because they're within the constraints, those things will come about? Well, let's go to go to tennis. I mean, again, if you're doing a tennis coaching, you how how to hold the racket is important, mm -hmm. how to change it from backhand to forehand. Yeah. Then how to put spin on the ball, um, how to hit it across so you get a return or you don't get a return and how to get speed and, and power in there. There's so many different components that you're trying to teach and you're de doing it. Yes. In reaction to the response you're getting from who you're teaching. You don't just say, well, now you can serve and you're meant, you're not be able to meant to serve for another three weeks. So I'm going to <laughs> carry on teaching the same thing. And you, you obviously it's, it's a sensitive it, response from the, the children you're teaching mm. or, or students or, or whoever you're teaching. So isn't this a problem though, that you go from year eight to year nine to year 10 in, in a school and the, the children themselves are progressing at different rates you've got to carry you've got to still hammer in hammer maybe not the right word you've still got to <laughs> tick off some points or check off some points along the way uh despite the fact that they haven't been able to master the stuff from from before because otherwise you wouldn't get through and i think this is maybe something that uh people think they've got to get through the curriculum yeah. while the curriculum's actually holding us back because this child is uh needs to have more time or less time or different time yeah, there's obviously, I mean, generally in a class, you, you, the majority of people will go at the speed you're used to taking them. Mm. Every now and then some will not. And that, that might be at the top end or, or at the so-called bottom end, whatever it is. But usually if you're not taking people with you, that might be a problem in your curriculum. And therefore, did they miss lessons? Did they miss understanding those points why did you not pick that up at the time mm. so a lot of that is feedback are they giving me the feedback showing them me that they've moved vastly beyond where i am or or really haven't got there and you got 30 in the classroom then really you're going to have to make sure that you keep people going but the other thing is it, with a curriculum it's not one damn thing after another you, you're structuring in such a way that you're building up things that that rely on what came before, but you revisit all the time. It's it's more of a spiral thing. So you revisit. So you're pulling people around with the idea that perhaps all the time, most people might not have got it. So I'm going to come back to something. I'm not teaching you one thing once and never going back there again, because that way it, it gets forgotten anyway. Mm -hmm. So the, the repeated nature of kicking a football, we're not going to kick a football once and then leave it. We're not going to just learn how to do a tackle once in rugby. And oh, we did we did tackling five weeks ago. We've done that now. That's the end of that. You're going to keep coming back to it. How not to do a high tackle, how to do an effective tackle, how, how not to break your neck in a tackle. You're going to build upon these things all the time and, and it gets more complex. So something which seems like kicking a football seems quite simple is actually very simple at first, but you're going to keep coming back to it to build up the complexity so we all these simple little things become more and more complex as we repeat and repeat and repeat and add things each time 
Okay, well, Martin, that's brilliant. I mean, obviously, there's uh, we need to uh, build and spiral our uh, conversation, but we're going to finish there. Uh, so uh, Martin was formerly a, a drama and English teacher for over 20 years in London. He's an in-demand conference speaker and has published four books, uh, Trivium 21st Century, Preparing Young People for the Future with Lessons from the Past, uh, Curriculum, Athena versus the Machine, uh, Trivium in practice, that's Trivium in practice, that's that book. And finally, the book, uh, which is just out now, is Curriculum Revolutions. His philosophy, or the one that we've worked hard to get to, is Education for Freedom. Uh, And you can contact him on Twitter uh, at Trivium21C. So that's T-R-I-V-I-U-M-21C. Or go to his website, Trivium21C.com. Okay, a couple of questions to finish off. Martin, how old are you? 60. 60. So that's football in the 70s. I'm just imagining Kess. Uh, yeah, a... well, that's exactly it. Right. Exactly it. Uh, what uh, what book is by your bedside at the moment? I Look, I've got no idea. There's, there's a book I'm reading at the moment by Terry Eagleton, which is looking at the history of literature, literature well, the idea of literary criticism and how it it changed over the years i mean it's very tedious <laughs> well i like it you like it well that's right as long <laughs> tedious for some not for others okay uh which uh coach or teacher are you loving at the moment what do you mean sorry i mean that, that sounds yeah like, like some, uh, some teacher something. teacher who am uh, i educate. loving at the moment yeah my <laughs> wife's a teacher does that work <laughs> yeah <laughs> who, who do you think is you are liking at the moment? Who do you like? Who's 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 inspiring at the moment? Look, I'm I'm a Tottenham Hotspur supporter. I look at all coaches with complete despair, especially after this weekend with Antonio <laughs> Conte's meltdown. So. All right, okay. So I'm assuming you're not going to say uh, wanting to coach Tottenham Hotspur, but uh, what subject would you love to be teaching at the moment? Well, beyond drama, yeah. Beyond drama, gosh. Philosophy. Right, okay. Uh, who's inspired you most? That's a very odd question. I suppose Why is it odd? It, Why is it an odd question? I've been well, asking lots of people, and maybe I need to rethink my questions. Who's inspired me most? In in what in, there's so much of life to say what, what who's mm. inspired me most, but in, in theatre terms, I suppose it was originally a chap called Stephen Burkoff. and also uh, theatre de complicite. So the idea of the physical as a way in to work rather than the intellectual. So how how you build upon physical physical movement. Right. So, and use the idea of the body as a way in, I think. Right. And uh, I hope this last question isn't uh, a puzzling one either. (laughs) That's right. Completely rethink my questions now. Uh, what would you tell your twenty-year-old self uh, to do more of? Get off your ass and do something. Quite a few people have said that, actually. Yeah, they they know me as well, did they? <laughs> not of you, not of you. <laughs> they're fat themselves. But does that say that twenty-year-old selves should, or uh, they should be allowed to actually do a bit Look, more? I I dropped out of school at sixteen. I was tossing around then I was working in a market I was selling double glazing I was doing all sorts of things that weren't 
fulfilling what I should be, could have been doing. And at 20, I was probably at my most uh, rebellious as yeah. well. So I went and you're to... not rebellious now at all, of course. Oh, no. <laughs> very mainstream. <laughs> of course. Martin, it's been brilliant. Thank you very much for uh, joining me on the uh, Coaching Knife. Enjoyed it. Thank you for inviting me. 